The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This whole situation is absolutely heartbreaking. But arguably, the Arizona fiasco is potentially the most heartbreaking piece of this whole puzzle. Because not only did you give the Reyes family false hope, but you also stopped us from continuing to research for other facilities for a 24-hour time frame. And in this kid's life, 24 hours could have meant the difference between life and death. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. You ever been involved in a situation and you heard about the situation for the first time after you were involved in it? That happened to that to me. Sarah Reyes, Sarah Jones, now Sarah Reyes, sent me um, the tapes from the Bobby tragedy. I was stunned. I heard myself on there. The Jersey accent was pretty distinct. My yelling, I knew who it was. And it was kind of reliving part of this tragedy, which was the Bobby Reyes death. Before I went to Facebook, I was getting text messages from people. And they were saying things like, hey, you fought like hell, or you were great, or this or that. I didn't know what they were talking about. I had Zooms all day, and there were a couple successful emotions, but I had no idea that these tapes were out there. And then I'm DMing with Sarah, and I'm listening to these tapes. And guys, just so everybody knows, if you need me... It's always quickest to text me or email me. I don't check Facebook Messenger all the time, and I'm sorry I didn't check it quickly enough. But when me and Sarah connected, and I heard these tapes, I was horrified. So, based on text messages I got today, based on what Sarah and Jose deserve, based on what Bobby deserves, because Bobby doesn't deserve not to be here. I'll stand by that. I'm going to review these tapes a little bit. It's been a long day. But this is something more important than rest right now. I'm Bill Amadeo, McManus and Amadeo, and Grable and Associates. And tonight, we're going to talk about the two tapes that were posted. Um, let's go back. The first tape is from Dr. Wooten in Arizona. Dr. Wooten is the gentleman... We'll go timeline first. He's the one who was the administrator out in Arizona. And Dr. Wooten said that they were going to take Bobby. His facility was going to take Bobby. And it was at the end of the two weeks, right? And we had a court order expiring on Friday at noon where they want to kill Bobby. U of M want to kill Bobby. Stand by that. And Arizona takes Bobby. Dr. Wooten says he's coming in. Sarah Jose and I did an interview with Kim Russell, WXYZ. I was working on funding at that point to get Bobby out to Arizona. The next morning, um, I remember I had to go to a funeral, and one of U of M's lawyers is emailing me saying how Arizona reneged. And that's part of the second tape from Michelle Hauser. 
reliving this portion of it is it's painful there's no question about that i know if i'm upset i can't imagine how sarah and jose feel but i want to break a few things down so what i tried to do was do a timeline of what happened with the dr wooten call and then a timeline of what happened with the michelle hauser call and understand something both these calls have been posted on my Facebook page, and my Facebook page is public, as my enemies and friends know. So you could hear for yourself, verbatim, what went down. Let's start with Dr. Wooten's call. Dr. Wooten, out in Arizona, said that his facility was going to take Bobby. And if you listen to that call with Dr. Wooten, there's kind of excitement on our voice. Here's who's in the room. There's me. There's Sarah Jones, now Sarah Reyes. There's a bunch of staff from U of M. There's several lawyers from U of M. And we're hovered around this phone call. And Dr. Wooten's on the call. And as again, you can hear it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. As we say in criminal law, the best evidence rule is the actual tape itself, and both tapes are present on my page. They were posted there, and I'm not taking them down. Dr. Wooten is talking to Sarah, and Sarah tells Dr. Wooten how Bobby's blood pressure is stable. At the 558 mark, which is pretty powerful to me, Dr. Wooten says to Sarah, with me present and the U of M staff present, we're not talking about giving up on him. Sarah says at the 626 mark, I just want Bobby to have a chance. Dr. Wooten says a minute and a half later, I approved the transfer. I think we are okay. So let's stop right there. At this point, which is two days before the court order expires to kill this child, Arizona is taking him. I know, Sarah, and I am so sorry I gave you hope that day because we all believed a miracle just happened. It was good versus evil. There's no question about that. And when Dr. Wooten says he approved the transfer, I know what I started doing. I was calling the lawyers that were not present in the room and saying, okay, we're going to get this transfer done. Now, how do we transfer this child? At the 825 mark, Dr. Wooten says, and I quote, transfer as is. So in the current condition Bobby Reyes was in, they're going to take him. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't profess to be. But if Arizona is going to take Bobby as is, they had to believe this child was not brain dead. Why would they take a brain dead child? And this is where the law's f***ed up, guys. Part of my language. Here's where the law screwed up. We can't get an actual answer what brain dead is. And I've said this before and I'll say this again. And I know this has become like a Republican versus Democrat situation. And it's kind of tragic that an issue of a child's life falls on the political half circle. But let me be very clear to everyone. For all the pro-choice people out there, and you are entitled to your rights, and I always said 
since I cannot bear a child, I could never make that decision. It's not my call. It's a woman's call. But if you're pro-choice before a child is born, how the hell can you not have the mother make the choice to try to keep her kid alive? That gets to me. I can't comprehend this. I don't care if you're a right winger or a left winger. Explain to me why it wasn't Sarah's call to keep fighting for this child. And now we have this facility in Arizona that said, and I quote, we will transfer him as is. The only way they're going to transfer Bobby as is, is if they believe he had a chance to live. So let's stop there for a minute and swallow that pill. At the 843 mark, I ask specifically, you could hear me, hear the Jersey accent coming through loud and clear. Can he transfer as is? Is that correct? And Dr. Wooden says, if I heard he was unstable, I would not approve the transfer. If I heard he was unstable, I would not approve the transfer. At the 1043 mark, Dr. Quisney, who was the main doctor at U of M, says, from a respiratory perspective, he is stable. And Dr. Wooten says, that's what I want to hear. We're taking Bobby Reyes. Now at the 11.40 mark, Dr. Wooten says, for everybody to hear, and it's on the recording, we would transfer Bobby beginning of next week. I explained to him, we have a court order that's expiring on Friday. And I said, and I quote, I don't want this kid not to have a chance because a court order expires on Friday. And Dr. Wooten says, that would be terrible. So at this point, lawyer and doctor are both saying, we need to fix this court order because Bobby's going to Arizona in a couple days. If you don't believe me, listen to the recording. Because you could say, you know what, Amadeo's full of shit. this is Amadeo's ego. Listen to the God recording. The recording is Dr. Wooten saying these things. All I'm doing is giving you an outline of what's on the tape. Listen to the tape. The tape is the best evidence rule. And I know a lot of people around here don't care about what evidence means. However, with that being said, we're supposed to try cases based on evidence. At the 12.45 mark, Dr. Wooten says, are you all okay with that? And he said, we all ask, are you okay with that? And he says, yes. He really didn't need to run it by anybody. I have already approved it. So he approved the transfer. At the 1425 mark, insurance is discussed. And I told the physicians, I told U of M, we're told about finances, but from what I understand, finance will not be a question. There was all sorts of GoFunds going on. And by the way, I didn't get a dime on this case because if anybody wants to make the accusation I did this for money, you don't know me. Because I've heard some rumors that I made a lot of money off Bobby Rice for the GoFund page. Every dime about Bobby was to try to keep that kid alive and get him to Arizona. And you could give Sarah and Jose a billion dollars, not going to make up for the loss that happened here. And I think it's really f***ing pathetic, the shit lawyers that were involved in this case other than me. And you could quote me on that. Dr. Wooten says the 1505 mark. 
We are talking about moving him in hours or days. A delay will not happen. A delay will not happen. So here's the thing. At this point of the game, right? At this point of the game. We thought this miracle happened. The man who's in charge says we're taking Bobby Reyes. Now, why is any facility... I know we'll get to the second tape in a minute because U of M is going to argue it's not an ICU unit and this and all that. Why would any facility worth its salt take a child that they believed was truly brain dead? The reality is this. Bobby had a chance to live. I will go to my grave believing that. And why would this health facility, let's just call it that, say we're taking this kid? If he was really dead, why would they? The frustrating thing is we don't know what happened overnight. I know. The next day, I get emails from lawyers well, hey, Arizona changed their mind. We got this court order tomorrow at noon, so we want to pull them off. I was in Lansing at this funeral, and uh, I just sped home, parked my car at Mott, ran through, go up for this new meeting, and there's this woman named Michelle. Michelle is some kind of healthcare provider. Now, here's the interesting thing about Michelle. Michelle and I had been texting, and she told me all these things that need to get done to transfer Bobby to their facility in Arizona. I know Carrie Perez had talked to Michelle, um, and I said to Michelle, so they're going to take him if we do A, B, C, and D. Yeah. So Michelle's texting me, we got to do A, B, C, and D. What's up, Trev? Dr. Wooten who is the main guy, is saying we're accepting this kid. My focus at this point goes from litigation to financial preservation. Do we get the plane together for this kid? Do we make sure the insurance is done? I'm talking to people across the country. There's this whole joint effort, and we know we have a place to send Bobby Reyes to save his life. We got it. Then the Michelle Cole phone call comes in. This is the second video that was posted on my page. It's about a half hour long, and the first 22 minutes are rather critical. The last eight minutes is a physician at U of M explaining his feelings on things, but the first 22 minutes where you really want to sink your teeth in there. And I'm going to timeline it again and again. Anybody's got a question with me, I say, you know what? My aggression and my attitude and all the shit, certain people that don't like me talk, Facts are the facts, guys. Listen to the tape. You don't have to like me, but you're supposed to look at the situation objectively. And I know some of you out there love me, and there's some people out there that hate me, and this is not about me. This was about a kid trying to survive. So for my haters out there that are going to say I'm spinning the facts, listen to the god tape, and you tell me what's being spun. Is Sarah Reyes making this whole thing up? 
or is it a recording on her phone which is specifically stating what happened that day? Which one of those two theories makes sense? Let's go to tape two. At the 139 mark, I say to Michelle, I'm William Amadeo, and we have talked. The 250 mark, I tell her, yesterday Dr. Wooten told us he would take Bobby as is. Now today you're telling us you will not take him. Can you please explain why? And she responds at the 344 mark. At this time, we're not able to accept him. No why. There's no explanation for why they changed their mind. At this time, we're not able to accept him. Now understand something. The court order expired noon the next day. Yesterday, we got this situation which is possibly going to save this kid's life and now we're flip-flopping why you tell me they sure as hell didn't at the 406 mark michelle says i think it would be best if your medical team and dr wooten went through that situation and i tell her at the 430 mark listen to the tape i have a deadline of noon tomorrow and i've just been asked to lower my voice I tell the person who told me to lower my voice, I have a kid you're trying to kill tomorrow at noon, so forgive me if my voice gets loud. It starts getting hostile in there. Now, I didn't curse. I did have to keep my voice loud so they could hear everything. And yes, I was aggressive, because I was trying to fight for Bobby Reyes' life. But I didn't curse anybody. And I was told I was the one that was out of order. Meanwhile, this facility wants to take this kid and destroy him. But I'm the one who's a little too aggressive right now. F*** you. Michelle Hauser then asked me to spell my name. Says we never spoke regularly. I spell my name for her. And I said, as of two days ago we spoke. I have the text messages. She goes, well, that's not regularly. Sarah then jumps in at the six-minute mark. She says it was Arizona law for a brain scan to be done. You don't get a response. At the eight-minute mark, Sarah's getting pretty frustrated. She's fighting for her son, and she asks, why is U of M fighting so hard not to get Bobby to go somewhere else? We then ask at the nine-minute mark, what changed between yesterday of Dr. Wooten saying yes and you saying no today? It was a simple question. What happened? Why did the head guy tell us they're taking this kid. And then, boom, we're not. At the 9.52 mark, I said to her, to Michelle, you told me in a text message yesterday there were a number of things that had to get done. She agreed. She said that. Then I questioned her. You just said we never spoke, and I was being disrespectful. Now you just admit it. You told me what to do in a text message. We start dancing with each other. So where is Dr. Wooten right now? I don't know where Dr. Wooten is. And I have a meeting to go to. Okay. Gets re We're really getting frustrated. We're getting nowhere at this point. But the 1230 mark, the question again, what changed from Dr. Wooten's statement yesterday to your statement today? I asked again, can we get Dr. Wooten on the phone right now? And she says she's late for a meeting. And there's nothing she could do. 
and nothing is going to change. At the 13.45 mark, somebody from U of M says, Dr. Quisney called Dr. Wooten for a transfer, and that's when things change, but Michelle says nothing. Here's what's confusing about that. If U of M knew that, what was the point of putting this woman on the phone? See, two inconsistent statements can't both be the truth. What don't we know? What will we never actually know? Here's what we do know. The guy who was the head of the facility said we're taking Bobby Reyes. The next day, somebody lower down the food chain says we can't do it. And we cannot get the doctor back on the line. Then they do a press conference where he says there's nothing we can do. The child's brain dead and he understands a mother's love. Dude, you don't understand shit. Stop. Dr. Wooten said, for all of us to hear, he went through 1,800 pages of medical report, medical records of Bobby Reyes. He said he could take Bobby Reyes as is. He said it would be done in a number of days. He said he didn't have to get approval. He said this was a done deal. What it did in this precious limited time we had was it put the pause on finding another facility for Bobby. It put the pause on filing motions because all the efforts now went to getting money to send this child out there. And then just like that. They pulled the rug. At the 17.32 mark, I say to her, you're not saying anything. I tell her at the 19.40 mark, we stop looking for places after the representation of these people. And I'm screaming at the 21.50 mark. We have an order that goes off tomorrow at noon. And sadly... We know how this story ends. At least for now we do. There's pieces of me. We were told about this today. My team, my inner circle. Like, it would have been better if Arizona never accepted him. Because maybe in that time period we put on the brakes and tried to move to the funding aspect of things, we would have found another place. I don't know. Either Arizona and Dr. Wooten and Michelle Hauser are the most negligent people in the world, or there's something more that doesn't meet the eye. You tell me. Here's what I can tell you, though. Those are those tapes. In public domain now. And by the way, for those of you that want to say that I did anything here, the tapes were placed on my Facebook page, which is a public page. I didn't put the tapes there, but I hope everybody in the f***ing world listens to those god tapes. And I stand behind those tapes. I'm proud for my voice on those tapes. What I'm not happy about is how this thing ended. Because always going to be a piece of me that thinks I didn't come through here. And I know the family doesn't feel that way. Whereas I'm hearing those tapes and the frustration, we're hitting wall after wall after wall. Why give us hope if you weren't going to follow through? 
this whole situation is absolutely heartbreaking. But arguably, the Arizona fiasco is potentially the most heartbreaking piece of this whole puzzle. Because not only did you give the Reyes family false hope, but you also stopped us from continuing to research for other facilities for a 24-hour time frame. And in this kid's life, 24 hours could have meant the difference between life and death. And we'll never know. We were robbed of that chance. So. I said this before and I'll say it again. This whole thing is bull****. Why would any medical facility agree to take Bobby Reyes if he was truly believed to be brain dead? Answer me that one. You really can't have an answer. You could dance. You could protect the medical community. And God forbid we badmouth U of M. The reality is this. That kid had a chance. And whatever changed Dr. Wooten's mind, because he had the balls to talk to us himself, he saw something in those 1,800 pages of medical records that left him to believe that this child could have been transferred as is. And Michelle Hauser and anybody else can say anything you want. You know what? We had experts that came from across the country that said... We're not sure that this child is dead. And guys, here's my question for you. I'm going to end on this. This is reality, right? If we're not sure. If we are not sure. Then how can we not err on the side of trying to protect this child's life? That's all I got. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. This hand is killing me right now. I tried to lift today. And if you thought it was bad with two hands, I told Mike McCartney, you should see me with one. That was a disaster. So here's my life at the moment when I'm not working and trying to type. This is BioFreeze. What we do is you put a little on your hand where it hurts, which is everywhere. You rub it in. Wipe it down. Nice and dry. Nice and dry. One of the live audience members is really laughing at you, really putting BioFreeze on your hand. Turning to live. <laughs> BioFreeze! And then, you wrap the hand. Because you know you're getting old when you gotta do this stuff, right? And here we are. Alright! All that said, put your normal part of the segment. I'm Bill Amadeo. McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates and tonight we're going to talk about 109 North Willow Avenue and I'm guessing this will be maybe a couple parts because I 
don't know about this woman. I mean, I've kind of talked about this place, but... It's kind of interesting how we break down where we come from. You know, where you come from dictates so much of your future, but also you can't forget where you came from, no matter how hard you tried, and that's part of the story. Today, um, had a big dismissal today. And it was a dismissal I'm really proud of. And Mike Pacockney and I were texting, you need to go Facebook Live tonight to celebrate. And I said, I was going to go live tonight to get some more content for Josh Strickland. And I was trying to think, what do I talk about? Hey, Brian Lundy. People keep asking about my childhood. And I'm going to delve into that a little bit. Because when I think about Willow Avenue, it's painful, but it's interesting. And lately, I realized just how well Willow Avenue has served me in my current career path. As far as the dismissal today, I mean, if you watch it on YouTube, you heard me screaming at the other lawyer. And it was one of those times when the screaming really paid off. Because the other side was wrong for this. I don't understand people that try to muscle me. I don't get it. I mean, look, let's be real, alright? You don't come from Willow Avenue and make it to Stonebridge Drive without having a giant set of balls. So, to come from where I came from to be where I am, when somebody tries to take that from me, it's a fucking war. And I know who's watching right now. There's a couple people out there that are watching. And I know you guys are dying to get me to say something you could I could use against me. I'm not. So I'm playing it by the book. Despite my attitude, despite my personality, I actually play shit by the book. I don't break rules. I don't need to. I'll outwork your ass. I know you think you're smart, I mean, good luck with that. But um, yeah. I guess it all began at Willow Avenue. Let's break this place down a little bit. Willow Avenue in Atlantic City. So, Mississippi Avenue is where the White House sub shop was. St. Michael's Church was on Mississippi. Trump Plaza was a couple blocks away. And if you went to the White House sub shop, you made a left. You went past Barbera's Fish Market. City block away. There's this big sign up that says Dead End. And that was apropos. You made a left where the dead end was. And here's Patsy Wallace, this facility. And here's this little brown fence that separates Willow Avenue from Pitney Village. Pitney Village, um, Gang Central. Now, Pitney Village, in Atlantic City, there was Back Maryland. There was Virginia Avenue Courts, and there was Pitney Village, Stanley Homes. I'm going to say off the top of my head, they were the four most violent housing projects, if you would. Four most violent housing projects in Atlantic City at the time. We were the last white family there, which was interesting, because I grew up in a very diverse background, to say the least. And, you know, you were poor if you lived there. I mean, we were really poor. Mom worked in the casino. Aunt Mary was sick at the time. My grandfather died my sophomore year of high school. And 
this little place, little row home, if you would, 109 Rockwell Avenue, that was home. But it never really felt safe. Let me break down Pitney Village a little bit. Pitney. I would say several times a week somebody got killed in Pitney. It was just a normal thing. Um, you would hear gunshots that would be like cannonballs. And as you got a little older, you became immune to those things. In fact, there was a time in my life when I couldn't sleep in silence. I had to hear loud noises to go to sleep at night, and that was my learned behavior from living next to Pitney Village. Today, what I could say about that is I still put earphones in when I go to sleep. I listen to a TV show or a podcast or music. I can't sleep in silence. It's just not going to happen. And that's one of the things that was rough about growing up in that place. Another thing is the brutality. Now, as a young kid, went to St. James. St. James Grammar School in Ventnor, New Jersey. You had to take a bus to get there. Now, there's some people from St. James I really admire. Um, Henry DeHedeville, Q, my best friend growing up. Great guy, pharmacist today. Ventnor kid. Skyler Davis. Lang City Cop, it's my boy for life. John Pax and I are cool. Joey Gaynor and I are friends. But I will say for the most part, most of the people at St. James, in my opinion, were assholes. They had like this ego going on. And most of them were Ventnor kids. Now understand something. Ventnor was the suburbs. Or so you thought. You know, the people in Ventnor... They kind of had money. At least you thought so at the time. I mean, not what I know about money today, but back then, from being a poor kid in the ghetto, to them, they had money. They would flaunt it. A lot of dysfunction there. And coming home to Pitney, it was okay in grammar school. You know, because in grammar school, it didn't get real. That's the way I like to put it relatively safe because Chelsea Junior High got out a different time I guess Chelsea Junior High was a tough place to go to school and I didn't really run anybody from Chelsea it was rough like on weekends when I would serve mass and father son would have me like do the Sunday night mass I had to come home but I'm gonna say high school got real and when I say got real weren't going to Ventnor anymore. You were on the Jitney Rides. The Jitney Rides were some of the most educational experiences of my life. There were some brutalities on those Jitney Rides. Being a small white kid back then was not a great place to be on the Jitney. Let me break things down at AC High. I know people say it's not segregated. It actually is. The Ventnor and Margate kids went one way. And the Atlantic City kids went another way. Brigantine had their own bossing. So, I would say the Ventnor and Morgan kids were protected. I mean, most of them were kind of cowards anyway. They hung in their own little world. And when they came to AC, I mean, they were either looking for trouble or, you know, to be cool. Being an Atlantic City child, that was different. 
you know, and the one thing about going home, I think any child should have when you go home is a feeling of being safe. We didn't really have that um, in Ducktown. Little Abner was in Ducktown. So he used to get off the Jitney and head back home. And you would just be sitting in your house. You'd hear the gunshots at Pitney Village. You'd be terrified. There were times the house was being broken into. There were times I had to protect Aunt Mary and Mom to the best of my abilities. My grandfather, before he died, which was my sophomore year, taught me how to box. That helped. And let me explain something, because I want to be really clear about this. I am not a tough guy. Not all. But having the willingness to fight, having the ability to defend yourself, and having balls went a long way. Never been a great fighter. I'm trying to do one pro boxing match now. I keep hurting my hand. Obviously, I am not a stud in the field of fighting. However, nobody's ever questioned my balls. One thing Pitney Village taught you was you had to have courage. It was almost as if if you were scared, you were even more of a target. And by the way, I was fucking terrified. Every day I was scared shitless. But you couldn't show that. You learned to fake it. To quote the boiler room, you learned to act as if. You had to act as if, man. That's why I think it's kind of funny when I see certain lawyers, let's call them that, that, like, make threats. Bro, listen. Fear is not some attorney who's trying to bully your client. Fear is hoping your family doesn't get shot up when you live next to Pitney Village. Fear is getting off a jitney, knowing you could be killed or raped. Fear is trying to protect your dog, who you love more than life itself, because somebody could kill your dog just because they were present. Fear is getting the f*** out of Pitney Village. That was fear. Fear is not a circuit court. Fear is not a prosecuting office. I respect the courts. I respect the system, because the system helped me escape. Be really clear about that. And I think when you compromise the court system, it's not right. I'm not going to say what you want me to say, because you're trying to use it against me. All I'm going to say is this. The court system's sacred to me. And you don't come from Pitney Village to Laura Road without some f***ing stories along the way. And when you have those stories, you have that power base. It's something fascinating about growing up poor. When you grow up poor and in fear, that shit never leaves you. And the thing about growing up poor and in fear is this. I'm not scared of shit. Because there's nothing anybody could try to do to me that hasn't already been tried in my life. Miss Scandia... Miss Scandia played such a vital role in my life. She was my third mother. She was my journalism teacher. She's the one that made me go out for mock trial. She's the one that changed everything for me. She was the one that used to give me rides home when my family didn't have a car. She was the one that taught me that my brains were going to get my family the f*** out of there. She was the one who said there's a light at the end of this tunnel. We didn't see any light.
it would have been so easy for me to be just another number. I owe Miss Gandia so much. I miss Mom, Aunt Mare, and Miss Gandia so much. I feel like there's these three powerful female forces watching over me. And they just, you know, they're there to protect me. And Scott Grable once said to me, I was worried about a case, a big case in circuit court. And Scotty said to me, I'll never forget these words, this case is nothing to be scared of. Growing up in Pitney Village was something to be scared of. Kind of set the tone for so many things. I just think Pitney kind of taught me survival. Now, there's one moment in time that kind of hit me today. My first mock trial tournament, junior year, and I'm getting ready for the tournament. We got to go home early, and you had to go to the courthouse where the tournament was going to be held. And Gandhi, Miss Gandia, she pulled me to the side. She goes, "Listen, I know you're nervous today. She goes, today is going to set the tone for everything. Go home, relax." go out there and do you I just remember um, we didn't have a shower back then we only had a bath and I'm taking a bath and I'm listening to Disarm by the Smashing Pumpkins and I'm listening to Black by Pearl Jam they were two songs I had tapes I kept putting those tapes and I'm sitting in the bathtub and I'm going over my part for mock trial in my head over and over again and I remember being terrified about that. Because I realized, even at 16 years old, you know, poor kid who's 16 years old, next to Pitney. And I'm realizing as we go to the court today, my first time in court, just want to set the tone for everything. And Aunt Mare came in. And she hugged me. I got dried up, put my suit on. She gave me a hug. She goes, listen, I want you to look outside. I looked. I want you to think of Miss Candia. I want you to think of your grandpa who died a year earlier. I want you to think about everything. Just, I know things are rough right now. Just, I know it. But I want you to look out here. I want you to think about where you're going, not where we are. Because you go out there today and you perform like our lives are on the line. You protect me and your mother today. That's what she told me. That's what mock trial was to me. I was protecting my aunt, my mom. My mom who had me at 17. I gave up everything. My aunt who gave up her future to raise me and my mom. And I went out there, I did my thing. And to me, when I'm in court, people say I care too much. I do. When I'm in court, though, it's not just protecting my client or getting a big paycheck or going over stuff with Matt and my crew and cultivating some outside the box argument. Okay, when I go out there, there's two things that hit me. One. Every time I get to put a suit and tie on and walk in the court, 
It reiterates that I escaped hitting. And two, can I walk on the field? I'll call it the field. I think to myself, I'll protect the mom and Aunt Mary there. I wish mom and Aunt Mary and Miss Gandia were here because God knows what I would do for them financially today. And you know, I bought them the house and all that, but I think timing sucks in life. All my big successes that I have and are going to come, unfortunately, my aunt, my mom, Miss Gandy, they're underground. I know they're watching. I know they're a big reason for everything. But I wish to God they were here. I wish to I would trade everything just to hug them one more time. Because I know without them, I would have been just another number. I would be dead or I would be in prison. I could have become a product of the environment. I'm going to tell you something. In Atlantic City, we had more talent than Margate. We had more talent than Ventnor. What we didn't always have was that familial support system at home. Some of us did, but many of us didn't. And I will tell you this. People say to me all the time, do you wish your father was in the picture? Thank God, no. If dad was in the picture, I would not be here. God knows where I would be if he was an influence in my life. And dad, if you're watching this, no offense, man, but listen, you knocked up a kid. You were never really in the game, all right? I don't have any will against you, but I really don't consider you blood. The Neary family raised me. And... Despite being poor economically, emotionally, we were wealthier than any family in the world. There wasn't a day that went by that Aunt Mare and Mom didn't tell me I was special. I was going to kick some ass. The worst of times, they were there. When the Margate kids mocked you for not wearing good enough clothing. When the inner city kids were fighting you and you were surviving on the way home you were caught between two worlds it was aunt mare and mom that said we got this i know it sucks right now but we got this so i wouldn't trade them for anybody and people say to me do you think your life would have been easier if you grew up in Ventnor or Margate?" <laughs> no because i think if i grew up in Ventnor or Margate, i think if we grew up with money this wouldn't be here, okay? That fire to get the f*** out. That fear of failure. That responsibility that was bestowed on you at 15, 16 years old. Listen, high school for me, guys, let me be clear. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't smoking weed. I wasn't getting laid. I was on a f***ing mission. Here's what I was allowed to do in high school. I was allowed to study my ass off. With dyslexia, which nobody knew I had. I was allowed to go play baseball like a mother -er. I was allowed to get a job. And I came home. And I missed out on so many things that you're supposed to do during your youth. There's really no proms or parties for me. It was a mission to get the hell out of there. But when you have love and support at home... That explains to you the mission, you accept that, good things can happen. I could sit here today and tell you I resent my family for not providing more 
are not getting me to those years that I had in high school. But I want to tell you, I don't resent them for anything. I owe them everything. It was tough. And the thing that maybe separates me from other lawyers that grew up in the burbs or something like that is I don't think Pitney Village will ever f***ing leave me. 109 North Willow Avenue. I look back, right? And it's there. When a prosecutor tries to bully my client, it's there. When a judge is making my life more difficult, it's there. When it's 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm on my f***ing phone, and I'm trying to find an exception to an exception to protect my client, it's there. It will never leave. And I'll tell you, that's f***ing exhausting. But I need that. The day I lose that edge, it's the day I just go through the motions. And I'm not the guys that are going to go through the f***ing motions. So, there was some dancing there. I know I went off script. I think we look at the place where we came from. We look at it in different variations. The fear. It exists. But you can channel it today. The anger. That's there. The passion's like speed for running back. You either got it or you don't. Luckily, I got it. But the intellect, the fact that knowing that I have to be smart enough to get the f*** out of here, I don't care how much money I have, how many cases I win, that can never leave me. There's always going to be that little piece of the puzzle that somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you know what, B? This was all a dream, kid. This did not happen. And that's the thing that will make me fight at 2 o'clock in the morning for the rest of my career. That's a little bit about 109 North Willow Avenue. I'm Bill Amadeo. Enjoy your weekend. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.